Well, how many of you guys love God's Word? We're going to get to the Word tonight. A River of Life, we tend to get a little bit more in the meat of the Word and not just the milk of the Word, okay? So it's going to be a little bit deeper tonight. But I'm going to pray, and I appreciate you really agreeing with me in prayer because the Word of God, I was just reading this today. I know Brother Zach's getting things set up for me. I was just reading about the parable of the seed and the sower. I mean, so some seed that was sown, even though it's all the Word of God, it went out, but some of it, fell on um, the wayside and birds came down and stole the seed which jesus said the interpretation of that was demons stealing the word of god and then some of the seed sown went into rocky places you know this was like hard hearts or or those that maybe have been um, from a particular church or a particular background that is really taught against the things of God are taught against like the, the Holy Spirit, etc. It's kind of like a hard place. And that seed falls there and then it does, it's not able to produce fruit. So anyway, the point was that the seed had to fall into good soil. And then once it did, it would take root and, and produce either 100 or 60 or 30 fold. But it had to go into good soil. So when I ask you guys to really agree with me in prayer, I'm really believing God that this will fall into good soil, okay? And I know not everybody's here tonight that's normally here, but you know, the great thing about us recording this, I've heard so many people say they go back and watch the live stream again or they'll go back and listen to the recordings when they, when they miss or something like that. And I'm so thankful for that because words like this are very important. So let's go ahead and pray. You guys agree with me, and then we're going to dive into this. So, Lord, we pray over the word of God tonight. Lord, we love your word. It is an anchor in our lives. Where will we be today without the word of God? And, Lord, we thank you for your word so much. And, Lord, I pray tonight, as we love the precious Holy Spirit and your power, and here in the altar time, we're going to pray for people. God's going to mightily touch people. But right now, we, we're into the word. And, Lord, I pray that you would um, anoint me fresh and speak through me, Lord, your words. And it will be um, the word of God. It will be like living seeds of truth that are sown out into good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. So wherever this goes, because I get contacted from this place literally all over the world, people in Africa, people in Europe, throughout this nation that listen to these sermons through podcasting. Lord, that you would anoint this and speak through me. Let this go out as good into good soil. And Lord, that the precious Holy Spirit, that he, like a wind, would blow and carry this word everywhere it's supposed to go. And that your holy angels watch over your word. Because the Bible says your word will go forth and not return void, but it will accomplish that which you sent it to do. And so we pray that the enemy be bound in the name of Jesus that would try to hinder the word of God, that would try to steal seed. We bind now in the name of Jesus. We break his power. But let this be settled out into good soil. It's settling in. And, Lord, this it will be watered by the Holy Spirit. But these seeds will take root in people's lives and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until the Lord comes. And, Lord, we ask you that there will be a washing of the water of the word in people as you cleanse people. And also that this will be like a bright light shining, dispelling all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy, and bring truth and bring revelation everywhere it goes. Lord, let your word be a hammer that breaks down every stronghold. Amen. Every pet doctrine, every tradition of men, Lord, things that are not of God, Lord, let, let this hammer of your word shatter those strongholds. And, and Lord, let your sword of the Spirit, the word of God, cut away what needs to go and penetrate into the deep places. Lord, we give you this tonight. We, we bless you, and I pray, Lord, hear and answer our prayers over this word tonight. We agree as to, as the Bible says, you would do it. We believe, we receive it now, and we thank you for anointing your word. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, just captivate everyone. Help us to give you our best ear and our full attention. Get locked in, in Jesus' name, to what you're saying. Help us have eyes and ears of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. I'm going to get into this. I'm talking about Esther and Purim. How many of you guys have read the book of Esther before? Man, I love the book of Esther. Well, that's what I'm dealing with because this is the holiday, um, the feast day called Purim. And it, it's celebrated because God brought a great victory for his people. And it was a very serious time. As many of you know, the entire nation of Israel could have been destroyed. 
And if God's people had been destroyed at this time in history, there would have been no way for Christ to come. And so I'm so thankful for God bringing such a mighty deliverance, okay? And uh, I don't want to get into this very much, but I want you to think about uh, Many people believe that if King Saul had done his job, this may not have ever happened in the first place. King Saul was supposed to completely and totally destroy the Amalekites, and he didn't do it. He spared the king, he spared, uh, you know... And so many believe that because Saul did not thoroughly, completely destroy the Amalekites like God said, that Haman was a descendant of the Amalekites and he was the one that Satan raised up to do this. But the Amalekites in Scripture would follow behind Israel and they would pick off those that were weak, that were tired, or maybe sickly or whatever. They would pick off. And what the Amalekites really represent as far as the enemies of Israel, the Amalekites represent how Satan tries to target people's weaknesses. And, that, and God hates that about the devil, but the devil does that. He will try to target people's weaknesses. So areas maybe in their sinful past, maybe they struggle with something like, like lust, or maybe they struggle with something like alcohol, or they struggle with something else. Um, Satan will try to how many knows the devil doesn't attack people if he knows that they're strong in that area? He's not going to waste his time attacking a strong area. He tries to send something to attack those weak places, right? And that's what the Amalekites represent. And so what we've got to do is we've got to let the Lord completely deliver us. Don't make the mistake King Saul did and just defeat this thing part way. You defeat the devil in your life completely. I mean, utter destruction of his kingdom, completely, thoroughly delivered so that even those weak places become strong in Christ. And then you're not going to have this stuff reoccurring, okay? So that's kind of some background, but let me, I'm going to take this from a totally different angle than maybe what some of you realize I'm going to take it because we're going into this fast. There's twice a year before the spring feast time, okay, where um, many call it Easter time, but the time of Passover. And, and uh, before we get into that time, there's Purim comes, and there's always a month there, which I'm about to explain. Well, before the fall feast time with the Feast of Trumpets and all that, there's about 40 days called the season of, of repentance. And so before the spring and before the fall feast, there's a time where we can really consecrate our lives to the Lord. I believe that these are powerful times to really repent and deal with things that you need to deal with, okay? So that's kind of what I'm, I'm going to deal with tonight. So Exodus 19, verse 10. Y'all follow me through the word. I believe this will be a great blessing. The Lord also said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. There's a three-day principle in the Bible. Okay, I can't get into it too much, but just let me say something to give you a nugget. Between the, um, the time of Adam's fall to Abraham was 2,000 years, and that's the first day. Between Abraham to Christ was 2,000 years, that's day two. And between Christ and now is 2,000 years, and we're in the end of day three. And it talks about in the Bible about there being like a, a great revival on day three, like a, a great uh, refreshing. So God is going to pour out his spirit. And here, Moses was told, consecrate the people because I'm going to show up. I want you to cleanse them, get them ready for a visitation. And I believe that that's what God has for River of Life. God is really about to show up in an awesome way in River of Life. We've seen some wonderful things. And anytime you do a church plant, it's always got the, some challenges, some ups and downs. But you know what? God has moved in tremendous power. And we have seen people healed of things, miraculously healed, delivered. And the power of God touched people. But I'm telling you, the best is yet to come. You haven't seen nothing seriously compared to what's coming. So right now, what I'm going to preach on is this. Moses said, consecrate the people because I'm about to come down. Did everybody catch that? Consecrate the people because I'm about to come down and meet with them. 
I believe that God is about to really show up in River of Life in an awesome way. And God is calling us collectively to really deeply consecrate our lives unto him. All right, so let me say something, and I'm going to come back to this. It's one thing to accept Christ as your Savior. That's all you have to do to be on your way to heaven. Okay, you don't earn your salvation. And so, for example, Jesus had the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross never took communion. The thief on the cross never um, was water baptized. He never was anointed with oil. The thief on the cross just simply put his faith in Christ. And Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. So that... That right there just settles the point that it's just a matter of faith in Christ. But I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about a deep consecration unto God. There's a difference. And not every Christian has deeply consecrated their life unto the Lord. Some people are still very polluted spiritually. And I believe that if they're sincere Christians, they're still on the way to heaven. But they struggle. You hear what I'm saying? They struggle in certain areas. They don't have the victory. And they're not in the deep places of God's glory like they could be. It's like even though they're saved, they're still struggling with different sins. There's still uh, something there that they feel that God is distant. And God is really wanting to consecrate them. And so this is where I'm coming from in this. In the Azusa Street Revival, William Seymour taught this, and I've, I've read his teachings. He said there's three distinct works. The first is salvation. But the second is sanctification, and the third is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So he understood that somebody can accept Christ as their Savior, but not be really sanctified yet. But there's a process that God will deeply cleanse our lives. He'll get all the pollution out. He'll deliver you from all that baggage that you've been carrying. All the inner healing stuff will get healed up. And he'll deeply consecrate you to where you can really go deep in his presence and also where you're walking in victory. So, there's two times of the year that seem to me to be really significant. Unfortunately, I don't have time to deal with this, but the church, a lot of the church is coming back to understanding these things, but some don't. But this time of the spring feast and the time of the fall feast are really powerful. Now, if you look on here, I've got this, uh, you know, this display here. It's, it's explaining the different feast days. But if you look at, right at 12 o'clock, you'll see Purim is to the left of it. And then you have four weeks, or it's called four Sabbaths here, and it leads up to Passover. So every year at Purim, there's going to be four Sabbaths. There's going to be about a month until Passover. And this is a time to really begin to consecrate our lives. There's the same thing at the fall feast. If you look down at 6 o'clock at this, you'll see Yom Teruah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. And if you look to the right of that, you'll see what it, it says there, 40 days of Teshuva, which means repentance. So there's 40 days where people are making sure and getting things right with God leading up to it. Now, here's the pattern. God wants to meet with us in a powerful way, but he also wants us to consecrate our lives unto him. And see, before Passover, the children of Israel were required to begin to get the yeast or the leaven out of their homes and out of their midst. Leaven in the Bible speaks of sin. And so Israel's being commanded by God, get all the leaven out. Go through your house and purge out all the leaven. And what God is saying to us is we're starting to head toward a Passover time. And we've got this month in between Purim and Passover. God is giving us an opportunity to really deeply consecrate our lives so we can go deeper in Him. How many want to go deeper? You want to experience God in a greater way than you have. You want to experience His presence. You want to see the Lord in a greater way. You want to just go deeper in the things of God. I do. And these times are awesome. Twice a year in River of Life, I tell people we're going to, take, we're going to have a time to do a fast. And during this fast... And I'm encouraging everybody to participate. During this fast, you know, fast something that God lays on your heart to, but seek him. Say, Lord, is there any person I need to forgive? Is there any sin in my life? If there's things in my life that I haven't realized, help me to see it so that I can deal with all this stuff and I can go deeper in the Lord. This is the time. And there's a phrase in Hebrew called Bedikat Chametz, which just means purging the yeast out, getting the yeast out of our midst. And so, as we're dealing with Purim tonight, 
This is going to make more sense as I go. But God is preparing a bride for his coming. And so as we begin a fast this Tuesday, I'm encouraging everybody to join with us. And we're going to believe God to purge the yeast out of our lives individually and corporately and to take us deeper in his presence than we've ever been before. I remember Leonard Ravenhill said one time that by and large a particular denomination he was a part of, he said that this denomination, by and large, most churches, the glory of God is not in their church anymore, but it used to be because this particular denomination was formed out of the Azusa Street Revival. And he said that um, the glory of God, by and large, was not in the churches, and he said what needs to happen is next Sunday from the headship, they need to send a message to all the pastors, and all of them need to call for a solemn assembly. And they need to tell the churches, we're going to shut down regular services as usual, and we're going to humble ourselves and pray and fast and ask God's forgiveness for the things that aren't right, and that he bring the glory back to the church. But unfortunately, that hasn't happened to this day. And consequently, the glory is, is not in most of their churches to this day. And it's a foreign concept to, to a lot of the religious, but those that are really hungry for the Lord, that are really hungry to experience Him and go deeper in His presence, they will participate in things like this. And so here's what we're going to do. As we do this fast, I want you to follow me through this sermon. I'm going to explain some things here. Whenever God created the tabernacle of Moses, this was a place where He was going to deposit His glory. And to this day, it's called the Shekinah glory in Hebrew, the Shekinah. But it comes from a root word, Shekinah, because it, the Shekinah means the dwelling. And it was talking about the abiding, continual dwelling presence of the Lord. Man, if there's anything that my life is about, it's about that. I want the abiding presence in this ministry, and I want his abiding presence in my home. And we can have that Shekinah glory, that glory that dwells in our midst. But you're going to see that God had to do a process to, to prepare uh, the priesthood and get things ready so that the glory could settle in and remain there. How many knows that God just isn't indiscriminately going to put his glory anywhere? If there's going to have to be some kind of a preparation for his glory to come and remain. I'm not saying that the Lord won't visit dark places because he will. But there's a big difference between visiting and dwelling. And so what God had Moses do was to prepare a priesthood and to consecrate them. And so as you follow me through this, I believe this will really help you tonight. All right. Number one, the deep priestly cleansing. Esther had to be washed and anointed for her time with the king. If you read the book of Esther, and I encourage you to do that this week because of Purim, but as you read the book of Esther, think about it. For Esther to go in to meet with the king, she spent six months being immersed in water and being anointed with fragrant oils for six months. And she was being prepared for her time with the king. There is a process of sanctification that God does in all of us. Layer by layer, God peels away. God chips away things that needs to go. He begins to cut out things that need to go. And he takes us to a deep place of being consecrated unto him so that we can go deep into his presence like we've never been before. I remember during the Brownsville revival, this always stuck with me. There was a lady named Kathy Wood that was in the revival, and she was the photographer. Some of you might remember her, but she wrote a book, which basically was just her emails that she communicated with people that during the revival they were asking her about, you know, what's going on? And she was you know, answering questions. She was giving testimonies and praise reports. And, but she said something I'll never forget. She said for two and a half years, Brownsville had really prayed for revival on Sunday nights. They dedicate Sunday night to be a night of prayer. And on Sunday nights, the pastor began to take communion with them. And there was a Jewish man that had come that accepted Christ as Savior. 
and he had a real revelation about the power of the communion table and taught him. And so they would take communion together and really consecrate their lives. And the pastor would have a night of worship and they would begin to pray. And they had 12 different, he, had, he felt led to do it this way, but he had 12 different banners that represented different categories. And people would be drawn to a certain category to pray. And she said also that he would anoint those with oil and pray for them, especially if they were sick and they needed a healing. But as they kept doing this, it was reported that it felt so heavy, it was so oppressed at first. But over time, it was like the heavens began to open up. It was like something began to purge out of the church. It was easier to pray, easier to worship. It seemed like that brass heaven cleared out. And God was doing a deep consecration in the people. As they were there praying, they were taking communion together. They were being anointed with oil and prayed over by the pastor. That God was doing something to prepare them. And she said that when revival really broke out in Father's Day in 95, that the people that had been coming to those prayer meetings, that they were so prepared in their life that they just dove right into the revival immediately. But she said the other people that didn't come and they weren't ready, she said that it took some of them a long time to enter in. I hope this is making sense tonight. God is wanting to help us to get to a place to where we can really enter into him without hindrance. I've seen some people that, that they don't realize it, but either it's religion it's, or it's the world, but they, they're in a place spiritually where we can, we can go through and pray for everybody, but some people for a while have a hard time really entering in and receiving because of whatever it is. It, it may be a religious thing. They've been taught against certain things or it's the world in their life or something, but something's there. But over time, if they'll keep going after God here and keep consecrating their lives and God keep purging them, it, it's like it's so much easier to worship and pray and enter into his presence. There's such a freedom. What's happening is, is God hasn't changed. We've changed. God has begun to do a deep work in us to where we can enter into the deep places of his presence without being hindered. So Esther had to be washed and anointed and made ready for her night with the king. So at the same time, there's twice a year that I call for River of Life and say, hey, let's have a month here where we pray and we fast as a church and we seek God to begin to do a deep consecration in us individually and corporately so that God can take us deeper in his presence than we've been. And you know what? God's been doing it. And so after Purim and before Passover, that's what we're going to do this year as well. Because let me show you this in the Bible because there's a pattern in both the Old and the New Testament. In Exodus 28:41, God told Moses, he said, you shall put on them, talk, it's talking about the priestly garments here, on Aaron and your brother, you're going to put the garments on them, the priestly garments. And you shall, look at this, you shall anoint them, you shall ordain them, and consecrate them that they may serve me as priest. You notice three distinct works there. In 1 Peter 2, 5, now go to the New Testament. Peter says, you also, you river of life, are living stones being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If people really get a revelation of the priesthood and how much of an incredible honor it is that, see, there was a time when only the priestly family, Aaron's family, were the only ones that could go anywhere near that what was called the Shekinah glory, that pillar of fire, that cloud, that God's presence dwelled in the tabernacle. Only Aaron and his sons could go in there. And you know what? Now, because of Christ, the Bible says that we're all priests and therefore, we can all be consecrated and go into his presence. I don't think any of us really realize how awesome of a privilege that really is. That God allows us to be in his presence. And so, here's the three things that God told Moses to do to anoint them. And tonight, we'll anoint people with oil that want prayer. But to anoint them. You know what the anointing speaks of? To empower. You know, when people have come here, I could use some example 
um, even with, you know, Fernando when he first came here, you know, got saved on the streets. Brianna led him to the Lord, came, God touched him. And I'll never forget when he first came because we were still um, at my house with just a handful of people before we came here. And God touched him and the power of God hit him. I remember you and others that were with you all were on the ground under the power of God. And I remember they were like, what is this? You know, remember that? And, but God began to empower him. And you know what's so awesome? A few weeks back, I heard about him and Melissa going out witnessing on the streets. And somebody had a sickness and they prayed for him and God healed him on the streets. So what's happening is in River of Life is that people are getting saved, but people are being empowered to do what God's called them to do. The next thing was to ordain them. It's important to set people in place that they can be used where they're supposed to be used. I see some that's called to be working with touching hearts. They have such a heart to go out and, and minister to the lost and hurting and love on them. That's their calling. There's others that are called to be up here on the worship team. There's others that feel a very strong call on the street evangelism specifically. And I could go on. There's teaching. But to put people where they need to be so that they can function. And there's others that are intercessors. And let me tell you, that's a high calling, okay? And finally, Moses said, don't just anoint them and don't just ordain them. That spiritual authority set them in motion with what they're called to do. But also consecrate them. Hello? Consecrate them. That they are deeply consecrated so that there's no pollution so that they can go in and minister in the presence of God. And now in the New Testament, we see the same pattern. In 1 John 5, 6, as you follow along in your notes, it says this. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. I hope you see a pattern of threes here tonight. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. And so the Lord is still using the same pattern. That God is, is using things like, for example, in River of Life, there's such a deep, profound work. And I'm so thankful over the last decade, last 15 years, maybe the last 20 years, I've seen in the body of Christ a real revelation of the communion table. And I thank God for that, even though many have forsaken it, that's, you know, that's their loss. But you know what? There's still a real deep revelation. And there's been many that have written books about the meal that heals and all this. It's really awesome. And that's so true. But God is still using the spirit, the water, and the blood. God is still using the power of things like the communion table to help to bring people's lives under the blood and to consecrate them. He's still using the water of immersion. And he's still using the anointing with oil. And this is all New Testament. Now, a lot of people, I've been surprised at the people that have come from backgrounds where they never anointed people with oil and prayed for them. And I've just been shocked because I guess growing up in a spirit-filled church, I saw that frequently, but I'm thinking, what in the world? Because Jesus sent out his disciples, read this, go Google this and look it up. Jesus sent out his disciples and they took anointing oil and prayed for people, anointing them with oil, and they were healed and they were delivered from demons. That's in the New Testament. And the book of James says, if they're sick among you, have them come up. The elders will anoint them with oil and pray for them, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And so you see this in the New Testament. All right. Now I'm going to go through this. I believe there's five things that God uses in the church to help consecrate his people. How many are with me in this? You are hungry for God to do a deeper consecration in you. I mean, the Bible says this. Paul said that the God of peace might sanctify you throughout your whole spirit, soul, and body that you might be kept pure and blameless till the coming of the Lord. How many of you are hungry, like the Apostle Paul said, that the God of peace will sanctify us throughout our spirit, soul, and body? I want to be. I want a deep consecration in my life. And I know many of you feel the same way. So there's five things, if you're taking notes. Number one, I believe the communion table. As we come together and we take the Lord's Supper, I've taught a whole series on the communion table. I can't get back into it. But trust me, there is a deep consecration that's happening. All I'm going to say about it, there's about 12 things I could rabbit trail and spend an hour talking about, but I'm not going to do that. But there's one I want to mention. 
the priest of the Old Testament, because everything Israel had in the natural, we have now fulfilled in the spiritual in Christ, okay? So in the natural, Israel, before Christ came, they had the sacrifices. Remember, people would bring animals, and it was a sacrifice maybe for their sin, but it also could be a burnt offering of just worshiping him and loving him or a peace offering. And the priest would take these sacrifices, these animals, and they would cut them up a certain way and place them on that bronze altar, and they would be burnt there. And God allowed the priest to eat of the altar. So people would bring not only their animals, but they would bring grain and oil, and they would bring things to the tabernacle, and the priest were able to eat of some of that. Some of it belonged to the Lord, but some of it belonged to the priest. And if it was called a peace offering, even some of that, the person that brought it, would eat of it too. But the Bible says that anything, y'all look this up in Leviticus, anything that that offering on the bronze altar, anything that that offering touched became holy. Now, if the priest in the Old Testament ate of animals and the blood of animals washed away or covered sin and the blood... <clears throat> excuse me, the blood of animals had that type of power to consecrate people. How much more does the blood of Jesus today have a consecration in our lives? And so what Israel only had, they only had the blood of animals. But we have the blood of Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, the one sacrificed once for all. And so in the same way as we take communion... What Israel had in the natural, now we have the fulfillment in Christ. We have the fullness. And when we're taking of the Lord's Supper, man, if the, if the animal of an Old Testament sacrifice, anything that thing touched became holy, how much more of an effect is the communion table having on us today? Do you see what I'm saying? Because it represents the cross. And by faith, we are connecting with the power of the blood of Jesus and bringing our families because the communion table comes out of Passover. We're bringing our families under the blood of the Lamb. Over the doorpost of our lives, the blood is being applied. But there is a deep consecration going on in all of us. So when we come together and we take communion, many don't realize it, but there is an incredible deep consecration happening. And I feel very strongly that I've heard from God about this, that God is going to continue to increase what he's doing through the communion table in River of Life. It is going to go much deeper, and people are going to have much more of a deep consecration happening in them, and there's going to be a flow of healing like never before. You watch it happen in the days to come, in the years to come. All right. The second way that God deeply consecrates his people is through the water of immersion. It's interesting because Esther, remember, she had to be bathed every day. She was being washed. And even to this day, whenever there's going to be a Jewish wedding, a, a, uh, the young lady that's going to get married, there's a water immersion that takes place. And so to this day, this is still a pattern. Isn't that awesome? And so what I'm trying to say is this, that the water of immersion is an awesome, powerful thing. I remember reading in 1 Corinthians 10, if you're taking notes right now, 1 Corinthians 10, and read this. But the Bible says that the children of Israel were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. So whenever God parted, now first off, they had what would be symbolic today of the communion table. In Egypt, they had the Passover lamb. They were eating the unleavened bread. Are you following me? It was like the communion table. God was consecrating them. He was bringing them under the blood. Well, after that, they're following Moses, and Moses lifts up his rod, the, the Red Sea parts, and the children of Israel go through the Red Sea with Moses in front of them, and the Bible says that they were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. So God considered that a water baptism. Now, I want you to think about, as they were baptized, think about the power of what's happening. Once they got on the other side of that baptism, the water shut behind them and destroyed their enemy that was coming after them. It also formed a chasm, a separation between their past, Egypt. And that's exactly what happens with the water of immersion. It helps people to get deeply consecrated unto God where the enemies that are trying to chase them from their sinful past and trying to chase them into their future in Christianity is destroyed. 
And God begins to separate them from their past and separate them from their enemies. And there is a deep consecration. And I am convinced that God is calling the body of Christ in this last day of revival to humble ourselves and to consecrate ourselves to be a bride that's ready for his coming. It is very likely based on the word of God that in your lifetime that you could see the rapture of the remnant bride. You could hear that shofar blast. And God is calling us to deeply consecrate ourselves. And so at the end of this fast that we're going to do as a church, this doesn't have to do with somebody um, going to heaven or not. That's not what we're dealing with. I'm talking about a deep consecration. Those that want to, we're going to have a night that you can water immerse. And I believe, you know what? In River of Life, as we've done this, I, I have seen something I've never experienced before in the power of water baptism. That as people have come, there has been, and many of you can testify to this, there has been such a strong presence of God right there in that water. And I have never experienced that before, but God's glory, His presence is so strong. And as we water immerse people, I have seen where people have been healed, physically healed, and received miracles. Isn't that awesome? I have also seen where people have been delivered of things. Some of you have felt that. God has delivered you from some stuff. And I've also seen where God has deeply consecrated people, and it's like flushing out of them the pollution. And so what happen, what's happening is, is God is washing, he's cleansing a bride, and that deep consecration is helping to separate you from the pollution of this world, from your sinful past, from things that maybe were in your family bloodline. God is forming like a chasm, if you will. He's consecrating you and separating you from it. How many want to be separated from this stuff? And consecrate unto the Lord. The third thing is the anointing. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible about the anointing, if you're taking notes, is Exodus 40. Moses went in. God had spoke to Moses to build him a tabernacle. Now think about God's love. You know, he calls the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He visits them on Sinai. He tells them, you make sure and consecrate the people because I'm showing up, okay? But God not only appears to them at a distance on the top of Sinai, and they see that cloud, they see that fire, they feel the earthquake, they hear the shofar blast, scares them half to death. Read the story. But God not only appears to them like that, and they're, they're scared of him, but God tells Moses, he says, I want you to build me a tabernacle where I can dwell among my people. The awesome love of God, that God not only wants to be, he doesn't, let me put it this way, God does not want to be a distant God. He wants to be a God that dwells among his people. And so God told Moses to build him a tabernacle. I'll make a long story short, he did, and as he did, he set it up. And Moses takes the anointing oil, and he goes into the Holy of Holies. He anoints everything. He comes out to the holy place, anoints everything. Comes out to the outer court, anoints everything. And after he's anointed this tabernacle, the glory of the Lord came and settled into that tabernacle. And the Bible says about me and you in the New Testament, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Those that are true Christians, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The tabernacle and the temple are synonymous. So you could say we're the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. So my point is, is that tonight we'll pray for people and those that want to be anointed will, will anoint you. But what I've seen and what I've experienced is as we've anointed people with oil and prayed for them, the glory of the Lord has so saturated their temple. And I've had people tell me, I love the glory of God's presence. I've had people tell me, you know, that maybe they'd collapse under the power and the glory of God and they just felt such a weighty presence of God. Most awesome thing. I've experienced that many times. And many of you have too. But that's the glory of God. And the glory comes because people are deeply consecrated. And so as we anoint people tonight, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that um, God's coming in Matthew 25. Jesus is coming for wise virgins with extra oil. You ought to write down Matthew 25 and read it this week. See, there were ten virgins 
This is a concerning scripture. Jesus said there were ten virgins, not five harlots and five virgins. These were ten virgins. So he's speaking to God's people. But only when he came, when the bridegroom came, there were only five of them out of the ten that were ready to meet the Lord when he came. That's concerning. Let's just assume that that's prophetic. If that is a prophetic statement, that could say that only 50% of people are going to be ready when he comes. But what was, the dif- what was the difference? The Lord said the wise virgins had extra oil. The emphasis was on the oil. And so God in these latter days is pouring out his spirit. And just like Esther for her night with the king, she was not only being washed in water, but she was also being saturated with oil. And because of that anointing, she was being saturated with oil. She was able to be ready for her night with the king. So another way that God consecrates his people today is not only through the communion table and not only through water immersion, but he's also consecrating us through the anointing of oil and the anointing of the Holy Spirit working through us as well. Okay. All right. The number four way that God is consecrating his people is through the glory. How many love the glory of God? In Exodus 29, 43 God said, I will meet there with the sons of Israel, talking about the tabernacle, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the sons of Israel. I will be their God. But look at that. I will consecrate it by my glory. Now, see, a lot of people have never thought about this. But whenever God touches you guys, and you, and you can't even stand because of the power of God, and you feel the glory of God on you so strong, and, and, and you're sitting there saturating, do you understand that the glory of the Lord is consecrating you? The glory of God is ministering unto you. God's presence is healing broken places. How many people, when they first came to River of Life, you know, desperately needed inner healing, that they received an inner healing, and now they're totally healed from the wounds of the past. How many people have had different health problems that have disappeared? I mean, countless. How many people have been delivered of bondages? But it's in the glory of the Lord. And God is consecrating us by His glory. And that's why we need to be careful. There's Esther. She submitted herself to being consecrated. But remember the story of Mary and Martha. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and just wanted to be in his presence. Martha was busy with all these other things. But Jesus said, Mary has chosen the greater. When Moses, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, God said, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. What made the bush and the ground holy? There was a lot of bushes. There was a lot of dirt. What made this little area holy? The glory of God there. When God came down and his glory came, that's when the Bible says God told him, take off your sandals because this is holy ground. When God comes and saturates us with his glory, it becomes holy, hallowed ground. Number five. This is the fifth. Okay, we dealt with the communion, the washing of water, the anointing with oil. Now the glory... But the last one is the ministry of holy angels. In the book of Zechariah, you'll have to look up the exact reference. I didn't put it in here. But in the book of Zechariah, Joshua the high priest. Okay, we're not dealing with Joshua that led the conquest of Canaan. A different Joshua. This Joshua was the high priest of Israel. And the Bible said, Zechariah saw this vision where Joshua was standing there, but he had dirty clothes. Now, he's supposed to be wearing those priestly garments like you see back there. But they were real dirty. They were defiled. And so Satan was accusing Joshua to God. And God told the angel that was beside Joshua to take off all those old dirty garments and put on clean garments on him. And so there is a ministry, I've already preached on this in recent times, okay, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but there is a ministry of holy angels in the Bible. And the Bible says in Hebrews, it says, has not God sent his angels as ministering spirits to minister unto the heirs of salvation? And so Jesus, it was interesting, when Jesus was here, he told Nathaniel, you're going to see the heavens open and angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. 
But also we read the story. Jesus went out in the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and then was tempted by the devil. You guys remember the story. At the end of that, how many knows that was very difficult for Jesus to go through? I mean, you're out in the wilderness and you haven't eaten or drank anything for 40 days. And Jesus was exhausted. Then on top of that, he began to go through a very high level of spiritual warfare. And so at the end of this, I'm sure that Jesus was very spent, okay? And the Bible says about Jesus, it said that angels came to minister unto him after the devil left him. And so how many of you guys can safely say, if Jesus needed the ministry of holy angels, I think we do too, okay? And so God will use his holy angels to go through and help clear out the debris, They'll help to take away what's defiled out of people. They'll help minister healing and deliverance and breakthroughs. And the angels of the Lord are very significant when it comes to spiritual warfare and deliverance. Trust me, they bring major breakthroughs. I felt that tonight. We prayed a lot about that here at Purim, that God would bring breakthroughs. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't don't remember if it was last year when um, at Purim Netanyahu came, or the year before, I don't remember. But Benjamin Netanyahu came because at the time Obama was president and he was really against Israel in different ways and he was trying to uh, suppress things in Israel. And most of America and most of our Congress, most of those in Washington love Israel and support Israel. And when Netanyahu came, I'll never forget because I felt it was at Purim and people really felt like God was going to bring a breakthrough. And Obama wouldn't even go to it, but Netanyahu came and preached um, to the, or not preached, he, yeah, he, maybe he did, right? But anyway, he, he brought a speech, <laughs> brought a speech to Congress, and Obama wouldn't even come. And I remember feeling in my spirit something break in the heavens. I was like, man, I, I don't know what just happened, but something just shattered in the heavens. God sent an angel, something happened. You know, after that, everything started changing. It just broke through. And so there's something about the angels of the Lord clearing away the hindrances in warfare. Now here's the last couple things. God is doing a deep work, River of Life. You know, when Brownsville had revival, y'all hear me. Just tune in right now and hear this. When Brownsville had revival, this was the beginning of that prophecy out of Azusa Street. Around 100 years later, there'd be a revival likened to Azusa, but not be confined to one location. It began in Pensacola. But God, through Dr. Cho, said it was going to spread all over America. And all of America blazed in the fires of revival. And that move of God would not stop until Jesus came. That's what was prophesied. And we have not seen the completion of that, but we have seen a lot of it. But Brownsville, in many ways, was an outer court revival. You know, Steve was calling people to repent. That's the blood. And they had those powerful water baptisms. Many of you remember seeing them. You know, these people were getting hit by the power. They had to carry them out and all that. They had to have water baptism bouncers to help carry them out, right? And um, it was awesome. But, I mean, that was an outer court experience. It was the blood and the water. But I believe, and y'all please hear me, because I really feel this in my spirit very strong, that God is wanting to anoint a priesthood God's wanting to deeply consecrate a people by his blood, through the washing of the water, through the anointing, that there's going to be such a deep consecration that we're able to leave the outer court and go into the holy place and go into the deep places. And then, as this revival is going to be incredible, there's going to come a time when Jesus splits the eastern sky. He's going to catch us away. And it's going to be the Holy of Holies as we're physically with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many look for that day? I believe this is what God is doing. I really do. So what I'm saying is God's calling us to go deeper than the revivals of the 90s. But for us to go deeper, God's wanting to do a deeper level of consecration. All right. The story of Esther... Is a, is a powerful story of breakthrough on a high level. You had two nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Persia, that was affected by the prayers and by Esther going in there to the king 
it shifted something in two nations. It was a very high level spiritual warfare that was going on against Israel, but then a very high level victory. But it came because a young woman was willing to be deeply consecrated, washed with water. She was willing to be anointed with oil. She was willing to be prepared for her night with the king. And it was out of that deep consecration that she had an audience with the king that turned around the destiny, literally, of two nations. And it's interesting as you read the book of Esther that the name of God is absent. Did you know you can read the whole book of Esther and the name of God is not mentioned one time? But yet, you see the hand of God through the whole entire thing. How many knows even when we don't openly see God, He is behind the scenes working a great victory for His people. Amen? So this is what I wanted to close with. Because there's going to be the wise and the foolish virgins. That's just the way it is. It's in the Bible. There's going to be people that come around revival. They come around the move of God. They mock it. They don't like it. They don't want it. They're the foolish virgins that don't know the difference between the Holy Spirit or a demon. They don't know when God's moving. They reject. But there's also going to be the wise virgins that are going to be filled with extra oil. See, when the Lord comes, he's coming for a bride without spot or blemish. There is a remnant bride in the earth that is going to humble themselves and they're going to be deeply consecrated and their garments are going to be without spot or blemish. They're going to be saturated and filled with extra oil so that when that trumpet, when that shofar blast in the heavens, they're going to be caught away to meet the Lord and they've been prepared. So let me give you a couple picture and types as I close out of the rapture here. The Bible says about Enoch that he walked with God and then he was gone. I wish the Bible said more about Enoch. You can read about him in other writings, but the Bible, that's basically about it. Okay, But yet his life is so powerful because he walked with God. Is there anything, you know, if I died, one of the, probably one of the only things that would matter to me is if somebody said about me, he really walked with God. Is there a greater compliment? But this man truly walked with God. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of intimacy with God. And because the Bible says in the Amplified, he habitually walked with God. This was a pattern in his life. He was a man of great prayer that God just simply caught him away, snatched him out of an evil generation. He's a picture and type of the rapture. So I'm going to give you four. The first is we want to be a people that are a people of prayer and that are ready when it's time to be caught away. That we want to be a people walking with God. God's calling us. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and it, he was sweating blood. It was a very stressful time. And he told the disciples, he said, look, the prince of this world's coming. And he was telling them, you better pray. Your flesh is weak, buddy. Now, I know your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. You better go pray. And what'd they do? Kept falling asleep. And so when the devil did show up and Judas betrayed and, and literally it was just like, um, you know, major warfare broke out against Christ's ministry, the disciples scattered. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of fear. And they weren't really ready. And they scattered. And so the point is, is as things are approaching in these latter days, warfare is going to be intense. We're going to have to be a people that are not asleep, but we're awake. And did you know in the Bible, the Bible says about sleeping, it says sleeping is prayerlessness. And that's why you read in Isaiah, it says, awake, awake, be clothed with strength from on high. God is saying, wake up and pray. Y'all hearing me? Wake up and pray and be clothed with great strength for the days ahead. I hope everybody caught that. God's coming for a people like Enoch that will be men and women of prayer. Number two is a man named Elijah. Elijah was a man of fire, the Spirit of God. He was a man of the anointing. You remember how Elijah's mantle passed to Elisha, and there was a double portion that came on Elisha? 
But Elijah's life was marked by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so Elijah, when it came time, here he was living and also in a wicked generation, the children of Israel had embraced a Jezebel spirit and the worship of Baal. And Elijah was a man of fire, a man of the anointing, and God took him right out of there. So what I'm saying is, is Elijah was another one who was raptured out of a wicked generation. And just like Elijah, God is saying, I want you to be the wise virgins with extra oil. That you are clothed with power. That you're a people of my spirit. That I'm going to catch away out of an evil generation. So we see a man of prayer. We see a man of the anointing oil. And now Noah. Noah was a righteous man, even in the most wicked of generations. It was so bad in Noah's time that only Noah and his family were spared. Let's think about this. What if things were so wicked around us that it was only one man, his wife, and his three kids that God spared? This was an extremely wicked generation. But Noah was a righteous man, and he was a preacher of righteousness. And he spent like over 100 years building this giant boat. I mean, it was, think about the, the graciousness of God calling these people to repentance. But they kept rejecting Noah and rejecting repentance. But anyway, Noah, the Bible says, when the, when the judgment and wrath of God came down on the earth, Noah and his family floated up above the earth. And then when the wrath of God subsided, they came back down on the earth to repopulate. It's a picture and type of the rapture. God is going to pour out his judgment in the tribulation time and his true remnant bride are going to be caught up to meet with him and we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And see, God right now is doing a consecration. Hear me, this is so important because at the marriage supper of the Lamb, did you know that whenever God told Moses that he needed to anoint and put those garments on Aaron and his sons to be priests, did you know that they had to stay in the um, tabernacle area for seven days they couldn't leave they were being consecrated in god's glory god is doing a deep consecration in us now but whenever we're caught away and we're at the marriage supper of the lamb we're going to be there for seven years with the lord it's going to be a final consecration to come back to rule and reign with him all right and then the last thing to say is this sinai when God spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, the children of Israel, it was a picture and type of the meeting in the air. God didn't come all the way down to where Israel was on the ground. It was a meeting in the air. He was at the very top of Mount Sinai. And the people of God, Moses, Aaron, his sons, Joshua, the 70 elders, they were able to go up and meet the Lord in the air, so to speak, up in that near that cloud and the bible says you can read this it is an amazing scripture that those that went up that mountain they actually saw god and they lived and they ate and drank in his presence that's what it says in the bible all right so moses god came down y'all hear me god came down to the top of sinai and moses and a, a remnant went up to meet with him in the same way Jesus is going to come down to the atmosphere. He's not going to come all the way down to the ground. He's going to come down to the heavens, so right above us. And we're going to go up and meet him in the air. Also, the Lord descended with, in, in Moses' time on Sinai, there was a loud shofar blast that scared the children of Israel half to death. In the same way, at the coming of the Lord, the Bible says that there's going to be a shout of the archangel. There's going to be a blast of the shofar. And we know the Lord came down from heaven just as he will um, when Jesus comes. And the Lord will return in the clouds. It's interesting because there was a cloud on Sinai. But the Bible says when Jesus comes down, there's going to be like a meeting in the clouds. And when the children of Israel, when God came down, the children of Israel went up. I want you to notice this. The Bible says, I believe it was a pre-incarnate Christ. A lot of theologians say that Jesus appeared um, many times through the Old Testament. It's called a Christophany. I believe this is one of those. The children of Israel went up Mount Sinai, 
and they saw God and they ate and drank, it's a picture and type of there's coming a time, guys, when the Lord is going to descend with a shout and there's going to be a shofar blast. We're going to go up to meet him in the air and then we're going to sit in the presence of God and eat and drink. We're going to have a wedding feast with the Lord. All right, that's all I can deal with tonight. But listen, we'll pray for people who want prayer. Those that are hungry for more of God, there's always those that are. And, you know, those that are hungry for more of God to go deeper, we're going to pray for you, and God's powerfully going to touch you tonight. And, Lord, I pray, let it come. Let there be a deep consecration. As we anoint people, Lord, that we're the tabernacle, that there's that deep consecration for your glory to saturate us. We want to submit to this consecration because we want to go deeper in the glory than the revivals of the 90s. But as we go deeper, this is preparing us for the ultimate visitation where we see the Lord and we're caught away with him as a thief in the night to spend time with him in his presence. But Lord, do a deep work in us. This is a great preparation going on in all of us. And we thank you for it. Come in this place in Jesus' name.